0: Welcome to you wherever you are at, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for a few moments this weekend. Before we jump into our teaching, do want to mention this great resource called the version of the Bible. Uh, Absolutely free, all kinds of resources. And uh, if you look under events, search for Arlington FM Church. There you'll find a complete set of notes for this message. Likewise, when you're in your uh, podcast player, If you search for Arlington FM Church, there you will find all of our teaching content. Well, uh, speaking of teaching content, we are in a series called The Happiness Project. And although that may seem like kind of a frivolous subject, I want to encourage you, think again. Uh, Jesus said this, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And so according to the words of our king and our savior, The very reason it came is that we would have joy, the sense of well-being, and that it wouldn't be missing anything. It would be absolutely to the full. In John 15, he said, These truths, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be made full. You know, uh, as we've established in the series, uh, finding that kind of fullness of joy A real sense of well-being and happiness can be an elusive target. We've looked at King Solomon, who had every prerogative known to man, and he wrote these words, I denied myself nothing, my eyes desired, I refused my heart, no pleasure, kind of sounds like the way we live today, and he says, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was empty. It was a meaningless chasing after the wind. Uh, You know, uh, Jesus uh, talked a lot about happy. Sometimes he used a different word, blessed, which actually means uh, happy by God, uh, God's activity in our lives. And in his great Sermon on the Mount, he began with what we call the Beatitudes. But really, he's talking about a person that's happy, happy and blessed in this life. And uh, the road to that kind of happiness isn't one that we might chart out for ourselves. He says, happy are the poor in spirit. Uh, they've learned they're desperately needy. They need God to intervene in their lives if they're to experience a sense of well-being. Uh, Jesus said, blessed or happy are those who mourn. They've learned to, to open up uh, to the reality that life hurts often. We hurt others often. And one of the ways to move towards health is uh, to accept that reality uh, when it comes into our lives and experience the comfort that only God can supply. Uh, Jesus said, happy and blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Uh, These are those who uh, they learn to tend to their own stuff and not try to get through life by dominating or manipulating others. Uh, They've harnessed uh, they have this sense of internal self-control. They are the meek. Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, they desperately want to learn from God uh, how to do life according to his design. Uh, Jesus said those are the ones who would be filled. Happy are the merciful. Uh, they've learned to extend uh, kindness and compassion to others because they know they desperately need it themselves. Uh, blessed are the pure in heart. They've learned that life is kind of like a furnace and uh, impurities come up out of our innermost being every day, sometimes multiple ways in a day. And uh, the purity happens as, again, we face reality about ourselves and let God remove the impure from us. Uh, Blessed and happy are the peacemakers. Uh, They don't stir up conflict and division between people, rather They look for opportunities to pull people together, build bridges, not walls. And Jesus said, finally, blessed and happy are those who suffer for doing right. Uh, They're okay with that because they realize uh, sometimes, many times, God causes us to go against the flow of what is normal and normative in our world. You know, uh, Jesus, uh, talking about uh, the kingdom of heaven, uh, he often used the word blessed and happy are those who live in and experience God's kingdom. Well, he also said this about the kingdom of God. It's like hidden treasure. It's not easily found. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man finds it, he hid it again. And then look, in his joy, he went and sold everything that he had so that he could buy that field. You know, uh, there's a cost. There's a price to be paid for laying hold of that kind of joy and well-being that is good and that is lasting. Yeah, there have been two fields of study that kind of put their finger on uh, this truth, that there really aren't any shortcuts to that kind of fullness and happiness that we're really looking at. Uh, These two fields of study can be uh, kind of summarized in uh, two research projects. One was called the Marshmallow Experiment, and the other has to do with studying what's called uh, supernormal stimuli. The marshmallow experiment happened several decades ago. They put a number of children, one at a time, in a room, put a single marshmallow in front of them, and said, you know, you can have that marshmallow if you'd like, but if you wait until I come back in the room, you can have two. And uh, what they were looking at is uh, this simple impulse control. And what they found is that the children that were able to wait uh, for someone to come back in the room and give them two uh, they tended to do better in life, better in academics, because they had learned this simple trait called uh, impulse control. They learned how to put off gratification, delayed gratification, because they knew that better things were on the way. And uh, this other idea called super, supernormal stimuli is basically looking at uh, all the uh, the uh, temporary fixes We have available to us in life uh, shortcuts to finding joy or happiness. Uh, In this uh, experiment, they took fake things and put them in front of uh, real things, and the fake were beautified to make them look a little bit better than the normal. In one case, it was a uh, a butterfly that uh, was made out of cardboard, but it had exaggerated colors, and the real butterfly... And uh, what they found is that these uh, male butterflies looking for a mate were more attracted to the fake one because of the pretty and exaggerated colors than they were to the real one that was awaiting their arrival. Well, you can uh, make your own uh, application to life, but uh, both of those studies suggest this: that uh, real happiness can't be short short-circuited, or can't be. Uh, you can't take shortcuts to find the kind of lasting joy. That Jesus is talking about. You know, we've been looking at the Apostle Paul's letter to his friends in Philippi, and uh, this letter is all about the kind of joy that lasts, the kind of joy that is enduring, the kind of joy that uh, doesn't depend on the ups and downs of life to supply it. In fact, Paul knew incredible hardship, yet in this letter to his friends, he uses the word joy and rejoice uh, 16 times and uh, he shares many insights uh, on a life that is truly blessed and happy. In week one, uh, we looked at four truths that are verified, uh, observed uh, in life by sociologists, psychologists, therapists, and theologians, that these truths are self-evident. Uh, here are the truths Paul sets out in Philippians chapter one. Uh, happy people have a purpose or a mission to live for that is bigger than themselves, and of all the missions and the purposes we could choose in life, uh, Paul says one of the, the greatest opportunity we have is to partner with God in the, the good news of the gospel. He says, I pray with joy because of your partnership in sharing the good news uh, from the first day until now. So uh, we get to participate with God, making his goodness known to others through the grace and mercy and the finished work of Jesus. Uh, Paul also observed that happy people uh, have a generally optimistic, positive view of their personal narrative. They like the storyline of their lives, and uh, he himself, uh, in spite of his challenges, his difficulties, his current imprisonment, uh, Paul was able to say, I eagerly expect and I hope that I will in no wise be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. He had a positive view of the storyline of his life. Well, it's also been observed that happy people see their sufferings as purposeful and meaningful. Uh, There's no useless season of life that we go through. And Paul writes this to his friends in Philippi now. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me Uh, has actually served to advance the gospel. Uh, Paul was seeing the good that came out of even uh, his apparent setbacks and failures. And then finally, uh, Paul observes uh, that happy people see themselves as lifelong learners. And uh, Paul would write that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the very day of Jesus Christ, Uh, this growing this transformation. Once we begin following Jesus, it never stops. Every day there's something new to learn and to gain from God and to uh, activate in our lives. Well, uh, in week two, we saw that Paul's friends were beginning to grow and mature in some negative ways. Uh, They were uh, developing a sense of religious superiority. It was creating divisions among people in the church Uh, they were looking down on those who didn't believe the way that they did. And so Paul gives them some weird happiness advice, kind of summarized like this. He says, uh, you want to be really happy and fulfilled? Find that joy that's complete. Well, choose the bottom rung. Go to the back of the line. Think about others first. Be okay with being last. In fact, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, In humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. And uh, Paul would present to us a little motivation. He says, you know, let's look at uh, the one who was uh, joyful beyond any of our experiences, uh, happy and blessed, uh, the person of Jesus. He presents him as the primary example of one who chose to be the servant of everyone. He says, in being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient, uh, obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, that's weird happiness advice. And Jesus said, here's the pathway uh, to the kind of fullness of joy that I'm sharing with you. And it comes through obedience. You know, uh, Paul would carry this thought into this week's message. He's uh, now taking the example of Christ who poured himself out for the interests of others, and God lifted him up, gave him the name above every name, and uh, now uh, Paul carries that thought about obedience to us. He writes in chapter 2, verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, that's kind of an interesting assumption, He says, when you came to Christ to experience salvation from him, you knew that a big part of it was obedience to God. You're surrendering your self-will and opening up to his will. And Paul says, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Interesting happiness advice. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And maybe as you hear that word obey, your reaction is somewhat like mine. Uh, Isn't that an offensive word and an oppressive concept? I mean, uh, submit, obey, uh, surrender. Well, uh, you know, it depends, I guess, on who's requiring or asking for your obedience if it's somebody who's wanting to take advantage of you, a tyrant, selfish brute, in that case, obedience uh, is a pretty, a pretty negative, ominous uh, thing to think about. Uh, but how about this? How about if it's somebody who's entirely bent on uh, seeing your good come about? Uh, maybe uh, use your imagination. Uh, imagine yourself as uh, one of the astronauts in a space station. And uh, you all have a set of protocols that absolutely must be followed. If you're going to accomplish your mission, if you're going to su- sustain your lives. And uh, your co-workers, or your co-astronauts are taking a break. And it's, uh, it's all on you. <laughs> the duties have come upon you. And, uh, you know, how important is, uh, is your uh, accepting responsibility in that setting? where the well-being, the lives of others, the success of the mission is on you. You want to follow the standards and protocols and procedures to a T. Uh, maybe another analogy. Suppose uh, you're, you're gifted in some unusual way. Maybe <laughs> may be hard for some of us to imagine. Maybe you're a gifted athlete, a musician, and uh, someone comes along who's recognized as the greatest in the field. Maybe you're a a talented quarterback, you're in high school, and uh, Patrick Mahomes, you know, world champion chiefs uh, offers to mentor you. And uh, how important would it be that you were open and receptive uh, to the instruction that was coming to you? Well, both of those illustrations are pale in comparison with the obedience of Paul is calling for. Uh, He's saying, look, Uh, The one we just talked about, Jesus who existed in the very form of God, yet he emptied himself for us. He became a servant. He became obedient unto death so that we could experience his life. It's that one uh, that Paul is inviting us to open up to, to surrender to, to see obedience to him as part of the pathway into happiness. Uh, You know, a a book uh, was... uh, Published recently, it was an autobiography of the the lead uh, person in the group, U2. His name's Bono. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, the title of this book is called Surrender. And uh, it really uh, encapsulates uh, the message that he shares in the pages of this book, is that uh, he had to learn uh, how to surrender uh, to a greater purpose, a greater will, uh, God's wonderful plan Uh, for his life and his kingdom purposes. And the truth is, uh, there's a fullness that awaits our obedience to God that we will never experience apart from the kind of obedience Paul is inviting us into. Jesus said it like this, take my yoke upon me, uh, you, and learn from me, for my way is easy and my burden is light and you will find rest for your souls. You know, Paul is uh, asking for this kind of obedience not to be anything outward that we live before people, but he's saying much more in my absence. When no one is looking, uh, is there a a yieldedness in your heart or at least a hunger for it, a a desire to align with God's kingdom purposes uh, for your life? Uh, Paul is saying there's great joy that comes from that uh, when we learn that we don't have to be afraid of uh, God's will, God's intention, God's direction, because we see there are no shortcuts to the kind of joy that Jesus is inviting us into. Uh, You know, uh, Paul will say we should uh, obediently work out our salvation, interesting words, in fear and in trembling. Uh, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, uh, for God is at work in you. Uh, you know, uh, when I think about uh, this idea of uh, approaching what we do with an appropriate amount of respect, fear, trembling, uh, part of the uh, the Greek definition of those words uh, has to do with this idea. I don't want to screw this up. <laughs> I have a great opportunity in front of me, and I don't want to mess it up uh, by making the wrong choices. Uh, maybe you know this guy. He's a tennis great uh, his name is Raphael Nadel, and, uh, you know, he's a kind of a tennis beast. The guy is uh, in- an incredible athlete. He's the only tennis player ever to be ranked number one in the world in three different decades. Uh, during that time, he's won 30 Grand Slam titles and 13 French Open titles. Both of them are world records, and uh, yet uh, in an interview Uh, with the CBS news magazine show 60 Minutes, uh, Nadell said something uh, pretty surprising. He said this, I have doubts. Uh, I have doubts about my tennis game, doubts about my preparation, doubts about my ability to win again. And he said these doubts propel me forward. In fact, he said this, if I don't feel doubt, I'm in trouble if, uh, if you don't have doubt, it's probably that you're being arrogant. I think it's good for me, he said, because then I feel alert. Doubt is very important to my success. And uh, what's he saying? Uh, he's saying, look, I have this great opportunity in front of me. I have a talent. I have an ability. I have influence. Uh, he's kind of a national hero uh, in Spain and has all these tennis camps, and he's influencing generations, he's saying, I don't want to mess that up, and so I have this appropriate sense of of doubt that motivates me. Well, that's kind of what Paul is talking about with fear and trembling. uh, We should approach every day as, God, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to uh, ruin the opportunity that you've set in front of me, and uh, here's what temper's our appropriate sense of doubt. uh, Paul says, it's God who is at work in you. Uh, God's doing something beautiful in your life, in your heart, in your vocation, in your purpose. If you're married, uh, in your marriage life, in your family, in your neighborhood, uh, God is doing something wonderful in the church that you're a part of. And uh, in every one of those scenarios, we can approach it arrogantly, assuming that God's best is going to come about or we can, with fear and trem- trembling, approach every day like, God, I don't want to mess this up, and so I'm leaning into you. I'm opening up to your will and to your ways. Uh, you know, Psalm 81 is kind of a wonderful psalm of uh, yieldedness. And uh, in that psalm, uh, the psalmist expresses this same desire. Uh, he, he says in Psalm 81, here's kind of a summar, summarization of the truths In that wonderful psalm, God is speaking to his people. He says, I brought you out of Egypt. I relieved your shoulder from the burden. I liberated you. I met with you in the desert times and provided for you. And then he makes this amazing statement. He says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. There's that yieldedness, that receptivity that willingness to be led and guided. But my people, God says, would not listen to me. They hadn't learned impulse control. (laughs) They were bombarded with uh, supernormal stimuli. Uh, Israel would not submit to me. And so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, there was not that yieldedness. Uh, Next slide. Uh, God says, uh, look, how quickly... I would have subdued your enemies before you, uh, but uh, there was no openness there, uh, no willingness to receive from God. You know, uh, one great uh, studier of human behavior once made this statement, uh, the more you do something, the more you do something, it tends to be uh, uh, patterns and habits in our lives that shape our ultimate direction and uh, paul is inviting us uh, to make it a pattern uh, to be open and responsive to god's leading and to see that as the pathway into our greatest good and uh, finally uh, paul would uh, leave with this rather practical application you know one of the ways uh, we put feet on our willingness to respond to god is the way we treat people and the way we kind of live out uh, our salvation in the ups and downs and the uncertainties of life. Here's what he would write. Uh, Stop uh, grumbling. Uh, Don't do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. You can enter into that blessed and happy place, children of God, without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Uh, You know, uh, someone once said that the way we treat people is the best measuring stick of the quality of our faith in God. And uh, I would concur. And, uh, you know, one of the ways we can measure our willingness to walk uh, in the ways of God and be obedient to him is uh, kind of how we treat people in the everyday interactions of life. And uh, Paul says if we will resist the easy uh, trend, which is to, to to grade against people, to have a trail of unresolved conflicts, if we'll kind of step beyond that and find ways to reflect the servant heart of Christ for the people that we engage with. Paul says we'll experience a different kind of joy, different kind of influence, a different kind of impact on our world. He says, then you will shine in the midst of a a kind of a warped and crooked generation, you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. You know, uh, you've probably heard, if you've listened to any of my teaching, I'm fascinated by the heavens, the creation of God that looms over us day in and day out. In fact, the psalmist in Psalm 19, says, the heavens declare the glory of God, day after day, they pour forth speech. There's just something about the eternal nature and the goodness of God on display in the heavens. And Paul takes that idea and says, look, if you'll uh, uh, stop trying to find shortcuts to happiness and walk the hard way, the beatitude way, the obedient way, uh, your life it will begin to fill up with the purpose of God. You'll appreciate the narrative, the storyline that he's working in you even through the most difficult of times. You'll become a lifelong learner, uh, but it really rests on this key, this willingness to obey and to work out our salvation with a sense of, I don't want to mess this up, and appropriate respect and deference to God's leadership. I want to invite you to uh, pray with me. Uh, Father, thank you for your handiwork. Uh, Thank you that everything that's in your heart towards people and your creation is good, Even as the opening pages of the Bible declare, when God created this and that and us, he said, it is good, it is good, it is very good. And uh, Father, we welcome your creative work in us. Thank you, Jesus, that the reason you came is that we might experience life to the full, that we might have your joy in us. Maybe as you're listening to these words, the idea uh, of obeying God of uh, taking the yoke of Jesus upon you is new, but you sense, you know, you've tried it your way. You've tried uh, just uh, taken uh, things as they come, and maybe like Solomon, you at a point in life where you're saying, you know, I pursued all these things, and it has this sense of emptiness to it. You're ready for something different. You're ready for that fullness, that joy, that contentment. Uh, I would invite you, uh, just respond to the person and presence of Jesus. Say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Become my shepherd. Become my leader and my guide. I willingly take your yoke upon myself. Teach me how to live and to enter into that joy that you came to bring. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.